Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. This past week, my wife and I were able to spend some quality time with our grandchildren who live in the States. Their parents had a special trip to make and someone had the brilliant idea that we could come up and keep them while their mom and dad traveled, allowing us to have this opportunity to spend some time with them. And what a great time we had. We were substitute mom and dad, but we were able to spoil them like grandparents for several days. And this is, of course, expected of grandparents, of course. During the days we spent with them before their parents returned home, we had some interesting conversations with the children who ranged from ages six through 13. For example, one day we had occasion to discuss with the six-year-old the concept of God being our heavenly father, the wonder that God is our father and he is in heaven. For a while, the six-year-old struggled with this image and thought that having a heavenly father meant he would have to give up his earthly daddy. It has been a while since we had a six-year-old to deal with, and it was a hard discussion for us. He's in Sunday school every Sunday and at a good church. I hope, though, that we planted the right seeds so that God can use what we said to build the truths he will need as he gets older. When the parents returned home one evening, I shared with my son the interesting discussion that we had had with his son about God being our Heavenly Father. His response was something like, If you thought that was a challenge, Dad, try discussing the issue of the Trinity with Emmy. Emmy is the nine-year-old. We have now returned to our home, and I've been thinking some more about these conversations with the grandchildren. It's great that they're capable of exploring these deep subjects and even having the ability to express their opinions or question the ideas we presented to them. We made curious and inquisitive conversation and they tried to search out why and how things work. After all, they were made in the image of God. God himself breathed into them the breath of life. If it was fun to have been a part of this for a few days, I'm glad we can now leave the next challenges to their mom and dad. You made the mountains and the sea Measured out the universe And you made me Echoes of the voice that called the worlds to be Reach throughout the ages and now speak to me You're my creator king 
displayed your love on far horizons and before my eyes you lit the stars and set the dawn in time call them all by name and now you whisper mine you're my creator king and the light the sun and moon to watch the day and guard the night the hand that stretched the heavens like a canopy reaches down to cover and watch over me my creator king who am i that you are mindful of me who am i that you set your love on me you in on a, on a little secret. I've been struggling to determine where I stand on a fundamental matter that involves the right to life. Oh, I'm quite clear that I cannot accept the decision of some mothers to abort their babies. I believe that the Bible is clear regarding this and that life begins at conception. So regardless of what term is used to describe the infant, whether it's fetus or protoplasm or cells or whatever, the fusion of the male and the female cells is life. To destroy is murder. This brings a lot of difficult questions. I'm glad I don't have to decide them all. But in the American political arena, 
politicians have to subscribe to their party's position on various issues that impact people's lives. Abortion is one of these. Mr. Obama and the Speaker of the House, Ms. Pelosi, have accepted the party's position of a woman's right to choose, yet they profess to be Christian, and in the case of Ms. Pelosi at least, to being a good practicing Catholic. Yet the two positions are diametrically opposite to each other. What can't people see, and why can't they see this dichotomy and insist that their politicians say what they mean and mean what they say?
his message for today, here is our pastor, Alan Lee. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are continuing our studies concerning the mysteries of the New Testament, and in particular at this time, the mystery of the kingdom as presented by Jesus in his parables in Matthew chapter 13. As mentioned in our previous broadcast, in verse 52 of this chapter, Jesus presents himself as the master of the storeroom that contains both new and old treasures of truth. Now, if you recall, we defined a mystery as used by Jesus in the parable as the truth that was previously hidden but is now being revealed by God through his word. The mystery kingdom is the period that began with the rejection of Jesus by Israel as their king the first time he came to establish his kingdom on earth, and the time he'll return to finally establish this kingdom as a result of the acceptance of him at his second coming. The church age is a part of this interim mystery kingdom. It is called a mystery kingdom because this delay in establishing the kingdom of God on earth was not revealed in the Old Testament revelation. Jesus used parables to teach the nature and history of this mystery kingdom. Through their use, he reveals the new truth of the interim kingdom to his disciples. But also, he uses the same parables to conceal that truth from the unbelieving Jewish nation as a whole. In so doing, Jesus fulfills prophecy concerning his ministry. Today, we will look at the final parables in Matthew chapter 13. And as we do so, I want to re-emphasize and to remind you that these parables are in the context of Jesus explaining the nature and characteristics of the mystery form of God's kingdom on earth. So we begin today at verse 44 and the parable of the hidden treasure. Again, I encourage you to get your Bible and follow with me as we study this exciting and essential portion of the Word of God for the times in which we live. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. End of quote. Now here's the meaning of this parable in the context of the interim kingdom of God on earth. As Jesus says in verse 38, the field is the world. The treasure hidden in the world then may represent either Israel alone, and Israel is seen as being hid among the nations, or it may perhaps refer to both Jew and Gentile believers thus referring to the church as well. The text says that Jesus empties himself, because it is speaking of Jesus. He empties himself and dies on the cross 
to purchase this field that he found, this treasure that he finds. He purchases them as his subjects for his kingdom. And so the basic truth being revealed here is that the subjects of the true kingdom are so precious in God's sight, so precious to the king, that he is willing to joyfully give his life to secure them for his own. In other words, no matter what the cost, he he wants to own them as his own. The emphasis then is the value of the souls and the voluntary sacrificial death of Christ to secure these souls as his very own. This is an important parable then, referring to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his willingness to give himself to secure his subjects for his kingdom. Jesus gives another parable of the kingdom in verses 45 and 46. It is the parable of the fine pearl. Listen again as I read or follow along in your Bible. Quote, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, The meaning of this parable, again in relation to the kingdom of God, is that the pearl represents the church. It is the product of the pain and irritation, as it were, to Jesus, caused by Israel's rejection of him as their king. Now I say irritation because you know a pearl is produced. It comes as a result of the irritation within the clam. But also, it could be another reference to the value of the subjects of the true kingdom. And would it actually cost Jesus, who is seen as the merchant in this passage, to purchase them? And so it teaches and emphasizes the same truth of the parable that we just looked at. But if it is the church that is being referred to here, this parable could be focusing on the suffering and self-abasement of Jesus Christ. When, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.15, he became poor, that we might be made rich through his self-incarnation, his humiliation and becoming a man and a servant, and finally his death on the cross. Again, these two parables then focus on the atoning work of Jesus Christ and his willingness to give himself for us. And so the basic truth taught then in both of these parables is the suffering and self-abasement of Jesus Christ for his own. Jesus gives a final parable in verses 47 through 50. It is the parable of the dragnet, and it is sort of a climax to everything he said. I quote again, beginning at verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in a basket, but threw the bad away. End of quote. 
Now, this is another parable in which Jesus provides the meaning of himself. And he gives that meaning in verses 49 and 50. I quote again, This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. End of quote. Now we must be careful here because this is a place where many make a very vital error. The net in this parable is not the church. The net is not the gospel being preached to everyone by the church. The net is the mystery kingdom itself, which includes the church as well as all of mankind. In other words, it includes what we might call Christendom as a whole. It also includes the proclamation of the true message of the kingdom, contaminated with the false message of the false kingdom. The result is a catch of both good and bad fish. Jesus says the bad will be discarded, the good will be kept. What a graphic illustration of what God will do in receiving his own unto himself and punishing those who reject him. And so the basic truth taught then in this parable is that there will be a final judgment of the nations at the second coming of Jesus Christ, at the close of the great tribulation. Now it is important to note that here there is no reference to the rapture. Many people make that mistake. There is no reference to the rapture in this parable. But rather, as you can see, look at it very carefully, the wicked will be taken away. However, at the rapture, the righteous will be caught away, not to judgment, but to glory. And so Jesus' emphasis is simple and straightforward in this passage. At the coming of Christ to set up his kingdom on earth, there will be a separation of the good from the bad. The bad, that is unbelievers, will be taken away in judgment. The good, that is believers, will be left on earth to enter his millennial kingdom. Please note again, and this is important, this has nothing to do with the church. The church will have been raptured at least seven years prior to this time of judgment upon unbelievers. This particular truth in this passage is related specifically to the Jews and the second coming of Christ to set up his kingdom on earth. In summary then, this mystery of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 13 outlines for us the entire period between the first and second comings of Jesus Christ, specifically from his rejection by Israel, which led to his crucifixion, to the time he comes in glory to set up his kingdom, and before doing so, to punish those who rejected him. It covers, therefore, the entire period of the church, the tribulation, the new world, the new world order under the Antichrist, and his final doom at the hands of Jesus Christ upon his return. And so these parables cover the entire spectrum of that period. It is at this time, at his return, after doing away with the Antichrist, that he will set up his kingdom on earth. The church is not that kingdom, my friends. 
nor are we representatives of that Davidic kingdom at this time. Although when that kingdom is established, we will rule with Christ and have administrative functions and responsibilities in that kingdom. However, to claim the physical and material privileges and benefits of royalty as Christians today, based on the idea that we are children of the King of Israel, is a false premise and confuses the blessings of being a part of the Church of Jesus Christ, of which Jesus is the head, with the true spiritual Israel of a literal and physical kingdom of which Jesus will be king. My friends, such teachings distort both the purpose of God for Israel and his purpose for the church, and it causes the people of God to be destabilized in their faith and also to become emotionally distraught. In its mystery form, then, as taught by Jesus in the series of parables in Matthew 13, the kingdom of God is not the nation of Israel or the church. Rather, it consists of Israel as a nation, both spiritual and natural, the church as well as all the nations of the world. The field is the world, is the kingdom, we could say. It is Christendom with the true and the false, the wheat and the tears, the children of God and the children of Satan. Two great events will sort it all out. The rapture, when all the saints will be taken and the rest be left for judgment and the final sifting of the true from the false, the good from the bad, at the second coming of Jesus Christ. When the wicked will be taken and the righteous left to enter the righteous world order of Jesus, the King of Israel. That's the kingdom he taught his disciples to pray for when he said, This is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To teach that kingdom is already here. And Christians are material benefactors of that kingdom is to distort the word of God. And it is our purpose not to distort but rather to teach the word of God for what it is, the word of God, and not the word of man. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Selah, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, 
As echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great commander's promise, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. in a moment Jesus Christ could come again